You're listening to The Turing Podcast, a production of the Alan Turing Institute, the UK's National Institute for Data Science and Artificial Intelligence. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Turing Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ed Calstry, and today we're bringing you the final episode of Series 1 of The Turing Podcast. Don't worry, though, we'll be back next week with another episode. But what we will be doing is changing up the format a little and making some changes that will hopefully make the podcast even more interesting than it has been already. So stay tuned for that. Um, And some of the episodes coming up in season two, what have we got? Um, So we've got a couple of episodes focused on democracy, uh, how disinformation is affecting our democracy and how AI tools could be used to improve it. Uh, We've got an episode coming up on how one of the Institute's research projects could be helping uh, the world meet the UN's sustainable development goals. Uh, So that's a really interesting one. And we've also got another one all about psychopaths (laughs) and, um, yeah, modelling psychopathy. So that's, that's the stuff we've got coming up. Today we've got an episode all about... Uh, a, a really big lawsuit that's taking place, um, the biggest in that's happened under the GDPR regulation in Europe. Um, it's a really interesting one for any anybody who's interested in, in big data and how data on individual people is collected online and, and what's done with it. So without further ado, uh, let's go to Rebecca Rumble and our interview about the Privacy Collective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Turing Podcast. Today, we're joined by Dr. Rebecca Rumble, who is the head of research at My Society, a not-for-profit social enterprise that builds citizen participation technologies, as well as being a member of the Advertising Standards Authority. Uh, but today, however, we'll be focusing on her work with the Privacy Collective, an organisation that supports compensation claims arising out of the misuse of personal data on behalf of the general public, and how they're involved with the largest data privacy case against GDPR breaches in history. Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Uh, Welcome. And before we dive into the GDPR case, can you tell us a bit about your background and how you came to work in the area of data ethics and data privacy, please? Sure. So I have a bit of a varied background, um, not a very direct career ladder, um, but I have lots of interesting bits and bobs here and there. I worked uh, for the ICO uh, many years ago in data protection. So that was a really good grounding in kind of the principles of data protection um, and how organizations are using and processing data. Is that the, Especially, is that the International Conduct Authority? Or the, sorry, no, the Information Commissioner's Office, Got sorry. It, right. <laughs> Immediately off the bat, you've called me on the acronyms. <laughs> I shouldn't um, have tried to guess, really, that was a mistake. I will endeavour to, to use the correct terms in future. Uh, so yeah, the Information Commissioner's Office, um, they are the regulator for the Data Protection Act and the Freedom of Information Act in the UK. So I, yeah, working for the regulator for a few years uh, was really interesting, especially at the time around 2009 when Facebook was getting huge um, and when the Data Protection Act that we were applying was from 1998. 
um, which was a real challenge. So it was it was a real experience uh, in being kind of creative and understanding like uh, legislation and applying it to contexts that it really was not written for. So I, I got a real interest in uh, data protection and data privacy back then. Since then, um, I worked at Cardiff University um, as a politics lecturer for a little while. Um, and since 2014, I've been at my society uh, working in civic technology, mostly in kind of digital democracy, using tech to try and increase engagement, that kind of thing. Um, but I've always had quite an interest in advertising as well, um, which is why I'm on the board of the Advertising Standards Authority now. And one of the big things that's really interesting um, lately is the rise of advertising technology, um, how adverts are increasingly targeted at people and what data is being used. Um, the Information Commissioner's Office uh, released a report, I think, last year, looking at, at advertising technology and, and considering what might need to be done in terms of regulation. So it's a big, it's a big issue that's kind of bringing together lots of personal interests for me. <laughs> cool. Oh, that's a, that's a really interesting and diverse background. I think the 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 Alan Turing Institute we're we're very familiar with people who have backgrounds from you know all different areas of research and um, spanning different disciplines. So it's, it's great to have you on the podcast. Um, I think, uh, yeah, so this is all about um, regulation of, you know, technology. And um, as you mentioned, you know, when you first were starting to think about this, you know, Facebook was fairly new. We The, the world's a, a very different place now. Um, but one of the big initiatives or, or laws, I suppose, that's... Um, that's come into place in the EU has been this thing called the GDPR. Um, can can you remind us what GDPR is? Um, you know why is it important? And you know we're we're recording this from Britain, and we've had this thing that's called Brexit, which is leaving the EU. Does it still apply here? Right. So yeah, GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulations, um, that came in in 2018. And as you say, it's an EU-wide regulation. Um, this, you know, it, it's supposed to harmonise data protection and data privacy laws uh, across uh, the European Union. And that's vital um, because so much information flows between all of the different countries for various different reasons. Um, you know, our economies these days are based upon data. Uh, and its ability to flow over borders. So we need robust legislation to, to govern that, those processes. Um, there's a subtle difference, actually, I think, in the GDPR as opposed to our historic UK-only Data Protection Acts. Um, because I think in Europe, there's a there's bigger appreciation for privacy. Rather than data protection... Um, they have a more embedded cultural appreciation of privacy as a concept, uh, which we don't have quite as much in the UK. Data protection was more about, you know, the rules that, that regulate data and what you can and can't do with it. Whereas this harmonised law of GDPR does actually speak to the concept of privacy, the idea of privacy being an actual thing um, that, that is valued um, as part of a, a fruitful private life. Uh, so yeah, it's it's slightly different, I think, to to our historic legislation in the UK. Um, 
will it continue beyond Brexit? Well, <laughs> I mean, the, I would be highly shocked uh, if it did not. You know, this is this is a piece of legislation that is, as I say, core to, to underpinning the data transfers between the UK and Europe. I can't see that we would depart from it in any meaningful way, certainly not anytime soon, um, because... everything would grind to a halt that relates to anything to do with personal data which again is is everything these days i'm just imagining the uproar if if gdpr disappeared (laughs) right i mean we do have our own data protection act but again you know this is this is a a harmonized act that that enables so much more so (laughs) i'm not ruling anything out (laughs) i continue to be surprised uh, but we will see well, certainly, I mean, I can, you know, speaking from personal experience, our organisation, we're, we're, we're still having to, you know, go through all the GDPR training. So um, I think, well, I suppose, regardless of what people thought would be the case in the future, it, it's the case now. So <laughs> It's absolutely the case now. And this governs how data has been used up until this point. So even if come January the 1st, Oddly, the government decided that they weren't going to to abide by GDPR anymore. It was law until then, and therefore, you know, if it was in operation and it was being broken, that would still be against the law. Okay, good. Because, um, well, well, we can't make any educated guesses anymore <laughs> regarding any <laughs> anything happening. Two thousand and twenty has been a great predictable year. Um, so. Can you tell us now what was the motivation behind setting up the Privacy Collective and um, how does it work? So with the GDPR, what what it did was open the door for the possibility of class action lawsuits, which we haven't historically had in the UK. Um these are think you know the, these are kind of initiatives that have been huge in the US and and in various other countries in the world, but in the UK we've never had much you know much legal ability to have large class actions um the gdpr opened the door for that to to actually happen um and what we're doing at the privacy collective is not only looking to bring this to court in the uk we're doing a, a parallel suit in the netherlands as well so the privacy collective kind of was formed to sort of sit sit over those coordinate them coordinate the messaging um, raise awareness uh, and be able to kind of leverage in lots and lots of other expert voices on these themes uh, to talk about the the merits of the case, philosophical points, you know, really just to kind of make these issues a lot more prominent. Um, so the Privacy Collective is, it's kind of an umbrella collective that helps out me in the UK as the lead claimant here um, and coordinates with our fellows in the Netherlands uh, and the the foundation and, and the lawyers that are running that suit. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's a nice brand that enables us to promote what we're doing, um, to to really bring in lots and lots of interesting people to talk about the issues, um, and to kind of streamline exactly what we're saying. You know, <laughs> pooling resources uh, is always a good thing. <laughs> I, was, I just have a question. Can you please tell us what, because um, I don't know if everyone knows what a class action is, because if it's not that common in the UK, maybe. Okay. Um, well, yeah, as I say, it's it's a very big 
quite common thing in the US. Anyone that's any, ever watched like Erin Brockovich, <laughs> um, you know, I think that's probably the uh, one of the landmark ones to hold up. Um, it's it's essentially one person as a class representative acting for the whole of the class that has been affected in the same way. So it has to be a, a class of people that have all been affected. They've all experienced the same detriment, shall we say. Um, maybe some of them aren't even aware of it. In, in, in this case, for instance, most people that I am representing will have had no idea um, that this will have been an issue for them. Um, but nevertheless, they will have suffered the same damage as I have, which is loss of control of personal data. I suppose a lot of people in the UK would be aware of the PPI mis-selling scandal a few years back where people took out credit cards or loans and they were missold payment protection insurance. And that was kind of, they didn't agree to it. It was just kind of quietly packaged into a bigger product and they ended up paying for something that they didn't want or need. Um, and yeah, it turned out that that was illegal and people for years and years and years, I'm sure many people will have experienced emails or phone calls saying, oh, you know, you could claim back PPI. You might not have known you even had it, but it turns out, you know, you can have a look and you'll get some compensation. So it's a very similar thing to that. It's basically a lot of people, I believe, have been wronged um, by the Oracle and Salesforce advertising cookies. And they are all the same as me. And they have suffered you know probably some people have suffered more than me i don't know but the very basis is that we have all experienced a very similar level of distress if nothing else um and that's that makes a class and so i will represent all of those people in court and hopefully if we win uh the compensation will be shared out amongst all of those people uh, that, and that's really interesting uh, that it's that it's literally class action means yeah means class as in a class of people and I suppose although I suppose you know the the class in question is kind of not necessarily the class system that we're used to but it's um, it's a particular class of people who are affected by this one specific issue that the legal case is all about um, yeah the the PPI thing I, I remember all of the the TV adverts about that. I mean, I was probably, I assumed that at the time I was probably too young to have <laughs> had, had, I'd taken out any of the policies or whatever it was that were, people were implicated. But um, yeah, it's interesting. That was obviously a, that was obviously a thing for a very long time. So um, yeah, so I, I guess, yeah. So you mentioned the, the, the a, a bit of information about the case itself there. Um, it's, it's against Oracle and Salesforce. Um, I think bef before we get into the details there, um let's ask a question a little bit about the technology itself so you mentioned um advertising technology and most people you know will of course be familiar with online advertising if you go on the internet a lot of websites have adverts on them um but can you tell us uh, a bit about the particular issue of quote real-time bidding and <laughs> how um third-party cookies are used and perhaps you might want to start with reminding our listeners what internet cookies actually are no worries not the fun kind not the delicious kind last um, it's funny when i do, when i talk about this i say cookie so many times i finish and i'm like deaf straight down to the kitchen <laughs> looking for a biscuit <laughs> um 
<laughs> so we we tend to call it ad tech for short, advertising technology. And there's lots and lots and lots of variations and, and different bits of code and, and different um, little tools that can be used to, to put advertising in front of you online. Specifically, what we're looking at is um, an advertising cookie or two cookies, shall we say, Oracle's cookie and Salesforce's cookie. So that's a blue, the cookies are called Blue Kai and Crux. What these cookies do is they get popped onto your computer um, while you're on a website that has nothing to do with advertising whatsoever. Um, and you've, you, you've allowed them to be put on your computer because you've gone onto the website and, I don't know, you're looking to compare insurance, pro- like house insurance products or something. So you've gone onto a website that's comparing all of these products and you get the big banner at the top that says something, something, and there's a big accept all button um, that's probably huge and it's in green. Or And there's maybe like in font four, size four, almost impossible to see, or manage cookie preferences or manage privacy settings. And you don't even see that and you don't really know what you're accepting, but, you know, it's the big accept all button and you've got a job to do, so you just click it and you move on. That basically says you are not only accepting functional cookies um, that make the website work better, which is what most people assume cookies are for, um, you're accepting third-party advertising cookies as well. And so it's these cookies like Blue Kai and like Crux that get popped onto your system and they basically just are your own personal stalker throughout the whole internet browsing experience then. They're not just looking at what you're doing on that one website. They are going to track you forever across all of the websites that you look at. So they're not just collecting information on what you interact with on the page in terms of, you know, do you prefer this insurer or that insurer or whatever they are then looking at where you go next and what you interact with on a different web page and then where you go from there and where you go from there and they look at what you're searching for and if you know you want to buy yourself a new pair of shoes all of a sudden the next web page you go on which might just be a news website there's advert uh, uh, sorry there's adverts for the exact same shoes that you were just looking at right right yeah <laughs> um and it and it you know it's it's basically just collecting all of this data and it's building a profile so it's, it's building an idea of who you are what you're interested in what you're thinking about what different things on different sites then make you think about um and it and it's ma- building a profile making assumptions about what what it might sell you um the cookie itself doesn't doesn't think about what it's going to sell you what it does is just package that information really efficiently and put it up for sale. So that's the point at which the real-time bidding process kicks in. This lovely profile um, filled with all of your lovely data is essentially put up for auction. Um, Basically, advertisers out there are prepared to pay X amount to put an advert in front of you. That might be an advertiser saying, right, we will pay 50p um, for, for an advert to be put in front of someone that is most likely to buy something from us and this profile will calculate whether that's that's uh, the case or not and that you know if that advertises 50p is the highest bid then that advert gets put in front of you so this advert is based on your browsing activity um, and who it thinks you are what you will never know is a 
where that personal information has gone you know this profile it was obviously put up in this auctioning way has that profile got been sold off to other people do they have access to it is it anonymous they say it's anonymous but is it really you know lots and lots of studies have shown that you only need four data points to identify a person and these things have got thousands of data points so that that's that's very concerning in terms of where is my data even gone who has it what are they doing with it can they then sell it on to someone else for even wider purposes that I have no idea about the other thing is what's the advert that's been put in front of you versus what hasn't been put in front of you so it's fine if it's just a pair of shoes you know a normal person like me will just shrug and go well it's just a pair of shoes what's not great is a if that advert is something that's quite harmful so if you are you know if you have gone across the internet very um visiting various sites to help with a gambling addiction and then these cookies are putting adverts in front of you for gambling sites or giving you a discount for this new gambling site or that new gambling site that's horrific you know if you've been expecting a baby and you know obviously you have been looking at cribs or, or nursery themes or whatever and you suffer a miscarriage you are going to have those kinds of adverts for those kind of products put in front of you for ages and ages afterwards which is mortifying you know that's really really harmful um so there's the harm of the advert being put in front of you but there's also the harm of what's not being put in front of you you know this these are targeting you based on who it thinks you are i am a woman i am a mixed race i am in a certain income bracket i live in a certain place so does that mean it's not going to put for instance really great executive job adverts in front of me Mm, is it going to deny me opportunities is it going to deny me you know products that might cost less if I was a white middle-aged man for instance um is it affecting you know the kind of premiums or or the prices of things it's putting in front of me because it's making assumptions about who I am um so those are really big issues in this real-time bidding process it's not just okay this is kind of creepy it's throwing back the same things I've been looking for it's it's making judgments um and and restricting um the access to to things I have can I just um so back up for a second and ask a question about how these profiles are built up I mean you've done a really great job of explaining why the system is so scary as it is (laughs) um but just like so you mentioned that there's this accept all cookies button that comes up pops up on websites and my assumption before was that perhaps internal links in that website would then be tracked. So, you know, you would you know, where you go from there gets added to this profile. But I, what I don't understand is how um, this profile gets linked to like I don't know how when you go on the the net the, the next time uh, on a different website or, um, you know, different browser window or, or whatever it is? Um, so the cookies, yeah, the cookies follow you. It's not just the website you're on. They will follow you across the web. The other really interesting thing is that cookies talk to each other. Um, you know, they, they kind of gang up and have a bit of a chat. So on your, you know, you will have loads of cookies 
um, on your system from all sorts of different places. You will have lots and lots of functional cookies. We don't mind those too much because they actually just make the sites work properly. But you will have loads and loads of these third-party advertising cookies. And, you know, whilst ad tech is competitive, um, they also know that the more data, the better for them. Not for us, for them. So there's this thing called cookie syncing, which means that one cookie put on by one website is is collecting certain bits of information, and and as you say, it can it's interacting with or recording certain things that you're interacting on the site with, um, and it that will call me back ABC, and it's collecting all this information about back ABC, and then it'll meet another cookie on your system. And it'll be like, oh, hey, so I'm tracking Beck ABC. How about you? You know, and they're like, oh, weird. I'm I'm tracking Beck XYZ. And they'll have a little chat and they'll be like, okay, this is the same person. Great. Okay, let's merge that data. Um, So, (laughs) again, this is, you know, these cookies are syncing up. Mm. Um, and sharing the data that they've collected. It's like, oh, okay, these aren't two different people. This is the same person. Brilliant. We can put it all together, make an even bigger profile, make an even better profile. Um, and again, you don't know this is happening on your site. You know, it's, it's, it sounds quite sinister, sort of, you know, personifying it like that. But <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds not creepy as it is imagining two cookies, just, you know, having a mashup, just meeting. And uh, But it is terrifying. Yeah, it's basically yeah, it's basically two cookies having a gossip behind your back and like sharing all the dirt. It's like, oh well, she she only looked at shoes when you were tracking her, did she? Well, I was there when she was looking at something about a weird rash, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Again, we can make it sound funny, but it's it's actually pretty dark. <laughs> so just to, I, I just wanted to see if I understand exactly how this works. Then, so so I was asking, sort of, yeah, when you go on the website, a different or a different website. And it's a different cookie system that gets downloaded. Um, yeah, how does it track when you've been on other websites? But you're saying it, it doesn't. It's just the problem is that different cookies can essentially be linked by the fact that the attributes they collect on you will be so similar that that whatever functional algorithm they have in them realizes that you're the same person. And so that data then gets linked and then that makes yeah, it, it even more valuable to the advertisers who are bidding, bidding on it. Advertise, yeah, absolutely. It's all being, all of that data is being hoovered up. And again, you've got to remember that it's always, you know, it's always tracking things like your IP as well, like what device you're on, where you are. Um, so all of these things are kind of factoring into it. So it's actually very easy to to kind of identify that, okay, this person is also this person, it's also this person, that where there's different profiles, it's quite easy to consolidate anonymous. these days. <laughs> yes, anonymous. We yeah. did air well, quotes. As I say, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and, yeah, air quotes, anonymous, because as I said, there's so many different pieces of research out there mm. that show you only need about four data points on yeah. a person to, to identify them. So, yeah, if you've got IP address and geolocation and... Right. Oh, this um, geolocation. Right. I mean, it sounded quite counterintuitive, like from the examples we were talking about before. Like, yeah, you've you've searched for a, a type of shoe or something. Like, you think well, lots of people like <laughs> Nike trainers, <laughs> but if you, yeah, of, co- of course, if it's geolocation, yeah, it can't be that difficult to you know combine that and a couple of other things. 
Especially given right. how everyone was in lockdown. So that made it easier <laughs> yeah. for cookies to identify who's who. <laughs> um, yeah, but so yeah, it's 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 a whole a whole data set that's being built around you that you can't really escape. Well, you say okay, so you can't really escape it. I I'm, I assume that the web browsers like Google Chrome have like a you can delete cookies, but then I I, I assume that obviously most people are not doing that most of the time, so it doesn't really matter from the point of view of the. Uh, people who want to sell the the information no so obviously there are there are ways that you can go out of your way to try and protect your privacy yeah Yeah. um but again it's an absolute headache um you know yes every time i go on a website there is a banner and i am just as guilty as everyone else of just clicking accept or because i just want to get on the website (laughs) and do what i actually wanted to do right i want the brownie recipe i want to go on the sidebar of shame and look at celebrities (laughs) like not looking their best you know (laughs) I, i just want to get on there and pay a bill or something if you if you actually try at any point to uh do your cookie preferences you know if you don't click the accept all button you click the other thing that says manage your preferences or whatever, more often than not, you will end up down the most frustrating rabbit hole. After which you've spent five minutes clicking through things, not quite understanding them. And in frustration, you just kind of rage quit and go back to the original site and click accept all anyway, because you just, that's, you know, you don't want to spend your whole life just tinkering with random privacy uh, settings that you quite frankly don't have an enormous amount of confidence in anyway um and you know the internet's not optional anymore it's not it's not like if i want to protect my privacy i can just not use the internet or not use devices anymore that's just not how life is um the only other option is is increasingly a kind of two-tier internet where if you really do want to to protect your privacy and not have cookies and these kinds of things you end up excluded from an awful lot of websites or an awful lot of services because they simply will not work they will not function unless you accept that you are surrendering all of your data to them i i today i saw a first i saw a website that had uh, agree with all cookies manage settings or reject all cookies in the same size buttons i was i kind of sh- i stopped i looked at it and i was like wow <laughs> This is a new one. Um, That's quite progressive. I know. And it was even the same size. It wasn't like the usual gigantic button for agree and then the rest small one. So I was quite happy with them. Almost agreed on that one just to make them happy. <laughs> um, but there's, there's cookies everywhere, as you say. But um, the big case is about particularly uh, two companies, right? Oracle and yes. Salesforce. What yeah. have they done that is particularly wrong and created all of this um case. so why why are we going after them rather than yeah. anyone else okay um so oracle and salesforce are not household names like the googles and the facebooks of the world right you know it's like google if you ask people what google is they will not normally say it's the biggest advertising machine in the world but it is that's you know that's where its revenue comes from um Oracle and Salesforce are slightly smaller players and they are slightly more diverse players. So a lot of people will know Oracle um, from their software, for instance. You know, Oracle are a very kind of vast 
multifaceted company. They have lots of interests. Um, so if anyone has ever done any kind of professional accountancy, they might have come into contact with some of Oracle's software through that. Um, you know, they're just about to acquire TikTok apparently in the US. Oh, right. <laughs> um, they've got lots of fingers in lots of pies. But back in, I think it was 2014, they specifically went out and acquired Blue Kai, um, the ad tech and the cookie uh, that, that we're talking about here. Salesforce did the same with their cookie. They specifically went out and, and bought a, an ad tech system um, to improve their offer. So they've, you know, both of these companies have gone out, sought out these businesses for increased profit and increased kind of data resources. They've also been some of the biggest players in in some of these most pernicious kind of cookies. You know, there are they are, they are not the worst. There are many other organisations out there that are terrible, terrible, terrible when it comes to. Uh, privacy and the kind of cookies that they're using for tracking purposes. But Oracle and Salesforce are very, very big multinational, multi-billion dollar players. Um, they Their cookies affect an, an enormous number of people. Um, and a case against them would send ripples through the industry. So whilst we could have gone after uh, organizations that maybe you know had slightly worse tracking cookies... You know, maybe they're not as big, maybe they're not as influential, um, maybe there's not as many people with those really bad cookies on their system. So it was a bit of a kind of numbers game um, in terms of, look, this is this is causing the most harm to the most people um, across across Europe, you know, certainly mm. where we're looking, the Netherlands and the UK. Um, obviously, you know, to bring a lawsuit like this, it requires money and it requires... <laughs> enough of a payoff to make it worthwhile as well so again you know the kind of the the depth of the pockets are are a factor here we want people to be compensated for the theft of their data um and again you know the the value of these companies means that that can actually happen it's not just a symbolic judgment that that won't mean anything um you have you know the the thing that these companies and the and these uh this industry understands most is money and you know at the end of the day they don't respond to regulation they respond to hitting them where it hurts which is in their pockets and and this is one of the best ways to leverage a really good outcome um kind of symbolically as well as financially um how can we know if we've been affected by this particular cookie and um if there's a way to see if we've been affected by this in general uh so If you are a Chrome browser user, um, I would I would be willing to put money on you having one of these cookies. <laughs> um, it's it's quite difficult actually. I I'm actually incredibly surprised when I started looking into this a little bit deeper how difficult it is to actually see what cookies are on your system a lot of the time. I still to this day ha had not really sure how to get them off of my phone. I know someone that could do it for me um but that was someone with some very mad tech skills way uh, way superior to my own but yeah it's very difficult to, if you've got an android phone it's actually very difficult to see what cookies are on there you can clear them all it's very easy just to clear all the cookies but it's it's maddeningly difficult to actually see if you've got some of these cookies if you've got a laptop 
it's much easier if you go into your Chrome browser on the settings you can follow that through to actually view what cookies you have on your system and you can search for them um, and as I say Blue Kai and Crux are the two that, that we're looking at in this suit um, and you can see when they were put on your system and you can see when they've been active so again you know it's like these cookies yeah it might have been put on there three years ago but actually the last time it spoke to the mothership or whatever it might have been two days ago right so just because they were put on there years ago they, they might still be active okay so um and uh it i'm interested in how google plays into this because um obviously the the class action is not against them and you mentioned that chrome obviously has this property of of you know i guess storing the cookies or is that how you would put it yeah I, I, and it, but do they not have their own Google cookies? Do they do they only rely on Salesforce and Oracle and other companies? Um, so Google have their own, uh, well, complete infrastructure, I guess. Um, this, yeah, we, we're not really talking about Google in any way here. Obviously, like I say, the Chrome browser seems to be the one most vulnerable to these cookies. Um, people who use Mozilla and Internet Explorer have had them. Um, but the rate seems to be higher on Chrome. I don't actually know technically why that is. Right. Um, okay. And I don't want to say anything that's wrong here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Safari, I don't think is, is too much of an issue. Mm. So if you're an Apple user, um, probably less uh, probably less vulnerable to this. Um, so I don't go- I don't know either. But I, <laughs> I mean, I would I would I'm not and I'm not going to make any claims, of course, but. I would guess that I mean, firstly, like Firefox being developed by Mozilla, it's the whole the whole point is it's supposed to be like open source and an ethical right. So yeah. I'd imagine that they would go out of the way to try and limit the impact of these things. Um, and then even with yeah the Microsoft Edge or Apple Safari, although they are big companies, I I believe that they don't have the same kind of data business microsoft or apple that google have uh business models vary um they are still business models air quotes they are still all about making money and data you know data collection and processing is an arms race so i don't i don't think there are many of the really really big tech giants um that are not right. <laughs> that are not yeah. <laughs> trying to hoover up your data and use it to Fair their enough. financial advantage. I mean, I'm you know happy to be proved wrong on this one, but if they you know when you've got that much money in the bank, you are profiting <laughs> vastly off of the data of your users. Uh, I'm just thinking that that all of our listeners are currently paranoid and like <laughs> frantically searching for the cookies on their phones and. <laughs> browsers well i i I mean i get that it's it it doesn't leave a very nice taste in the mouth when the more you learn about these kinds of things the more you do think gosh you know could i get off grid but you just can't i you know i'm as i said i'm as bad a culprit as anyone else even though i know it's happening to me you know i am hemorrhaging data every minute of the day um i you know Tracking cookies are one very specific, narrow thing that I can take uh, some action with. Um, but obviously, yeah, the wider ecosystem um, 
or you you know all you have to do is look around at how many times you use your phone or when it wakes you up in the morning or if you've got a Fitbit or a smart TV or an Alexa you know the the list is endless you know your car is tracking you <laughs> I remember when cars were just cars right they didn't <laughs> um so yeah the that you are hemorrhaging data all of the time. The thing about these cookies is that it's really, really not clear that they're doing that. When you click accept all on those cookie banners, I I challenge people to tell me what they think they are consenting to. And that is the key here is under GDPR, you are supposed to have given your informed consent. And I highly doubt that most people have any idea of this kind of real-time bidding or, or tracking process that, that's going on. I don't think that's consent at all. Well, that raises an interesting question, which is how did this situation come to be in the first place? I mean, I suppose GDPR won't have existed as, as far back as as maybe these technologies have existed, but it's been it's existed for a little while, right? So, so, why, so why is this happening now? Why is the why is the tech there now, or why well, are we talking about this now? Yeah, why why are you um, uh, making the case now? Um... Uh, well, primarily, as I say, because GDPR, it you know, it only came into effect in May two thousand and eighteen. Oh, okay, that's not that um, long ago then. <laughs> it's, so yeah, it's still pretty young, actually. And you know, uh, I think most people understand that the wheels of uh, the legal wheels don't turn terribly quickly anyone that's ever done anything legally I think knows it's not it's not a rapid process um so yeah obviously you know then we needed time to look at the legislation to to look at what what else was going on what was out there how things were being taken forward whether it was possible to to bring these kinds of cases at all um and and yeah it's it's just taken a couple of years for these things to come out and then you know there are more uh this is certainly this is the the action that i'm leading this is the highest value it's the biggest one that's that's been put out to date um but you know there are others as we're currently waiting on uh the lloyd v google case um which is richard lloyd versus google relating to a safari backdoor um data issue that was back in 2011 so, you know, we're waiting on some legal precedents again to move forward. Um, other cases are coming out all the time now. There's a, there's another one that's um, against Google and YouTube, um, which has been accused of hoovering up data on children, uh, which again is not great. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, it, it's taken some time uh, to kind of, for everyone, I think, to figure out what's possible and what's you know what are the best routes to to success in terms of changing these kinds of behaviors and yeah we're we're now in a kind of exciting stage where we're finally getting to kind of think about going to court <laughs> that's well, yeah, exciting it sounds like there's gonna, yeah it is exciting um it sounds like that you're you're anticipating a tsunami of similar cases then um so um, i was gonna say well or maybe okay <laughs> um i was gonna ask like it, do you, do you think the the main benefit of going ahead with this case is tackling the specific issue itself, or is it setting a precedent um, on data privacy in like enforcing data privacy regulation that hasn't been up until now, or is it both? 
Um, I it's it's definitely both. I mean, yes, legally speaking, I can only focus on this very very narrow case. Um, this is you know. I believe this is wrong. I believe I'm fully within my rights to be taking this um, in a legal direction. And I do think we should be successful and that people should be compensated for the very specific loss uh, of control of their personal data that, that we are talking about here with, with Oracle and Salesforce. But I hope that does set a wider precedent, you know, that this kind of behaviour will no longer be tolerated and and that it will not be supported um, in law and that people do and will um, take these issues to court if they believe that, that their rights are being trampled on. You know, ideally, I would like to win this case. Um, but beyond that, I would like that, I think, as I said earlier, to kind of ripple through the industry that says, OK, if, if these two organizations between them have to shell out 10 billion euros um that's that's going to be a far far greater catalyst for change of industry behavior than just writing out the regulations you know as i said hitting them where it hurts speaking their language and their language is money um that hopefully will make other people with other equally pernicious cookies um, think twice about what they're doing, what their business model is, um, and start thinking very differently about advertising and data grabbing, which, you know, I think it's time for those things to evolve. Advertise, you know, as I said, uh, <laughs> I like advertising. I, I'm on the board of the Advertising Standards Authority. I think good advertising is fantastic. Um, what we have online, I think, is the laziest form of advertising you can find. <laughs> Um, it's based on lazy data grabbing. Um, wouldn't it be wonderful if the adverts you were presented with were actually engaging? <laughs> um, so yeah, I, th I think I hope you know. Hopefully, yes, I want to win on this particular point of law, but I want that hopefully to affect how business is done in future. Um, I, is are these? Because cause I've heard a lot of... If, if it's done right, is good advertising. But I've heard a lot of people saying, oh, but I accept cookies because I prefer to have targeted ads. And, um, you know, ah, yes, I do want shoes. I am interested in shoes if I've spent the last three weeks searching. Uh, but the, I think most people are not aware of something very important that you said, which was what is not shown. Because yeah. the same way that these companies can access your data it also can also be accessed uh, accessed sorry <laughs> by um by companies with other you know motives either political or activist or other way which makes things a little bit more worrying if we think about it Absolutely. And and you don't know what those decision making processes are because they are completely automated based on algorithms that we will never see because they are commercially sensitive. Um, essentially, you're feeding data into a black box and getting a shoe advert out the other end. And, and like you say, you, you have no idea what the rationale behind that is. And whilst it's just a pair, of, you know, it's easy to shrug if it's just a pair of shoes. But if it's yeah, if it is more harmful to your specific personal behaviors then or it is excluding uh or exclusionary in in what it's doing to you then yeah that that's a real problem and you don't you have no idea it's happening 
this is the thing you know you did not give your permission for that even if you even if you say quite rightly oh well I don't mind I'd rather have targeted advertising than non-target you know I don't want to see adverts for I don't know funeral caskets or anything um I you know I'd rather see something that I might want to buy and you know I like buying stuff too um but yeah it it's not you're you're putting a lot of power in the hands of something that's quite automated and not really as sophisticated as you'd like it to be and not transparent <laughs> it it's, and it's not transparent at all yeah so as I say it's that it's that decision making process that you just have no idea what assumptions are being made where that data is going if those assumptions are wrong you will never have a chance to correct it you know if it wrongly assumes that you are I don't know a very low income or you're in debt that will follow you forever that may affect God knows what decisions financially for you in the future. And again, you will have you will have no recourse. You will have no ability to change that or challenge it because you won't even know it's happened. Even if, because uh, that gets even messier when you have more than one user per computer. You basically Absolutely. Have, have the uh, people getting data mashed together and then suddenly you have a man-woman that gets... Uh, <laughs> That is either <laughs> either under eighteen or over sixty five, and <laughs> you would get well, ads. <laughs> absolutely, and again, you know, on the one hand, it can be quite funny; you can laugh about it. But on the other hand, exactly. if you are a, a young girl in a very conservative household in the South in America, um, and you are looking at birth control online, yes. and your father then looks at the computer after you, you know that that's that's a serious that could be a serious problem. Um, yeah, there are all there are numerous ways that these things can happen, and obviously it's you know it's it's against a whole ecosystem of of your data being bled out of you. Um, I don't know if you or any of your listeners have, have read it, but uh, Carissa Valise has written a fantastic book on privacy. Um, privacy is power. It was only released, I think, last week or the week before, um, but I devoured it immediately, and that has some phenomenal examples uh, of how privacy is being eroded every second of every day um, at a very, very personal experiential level. So that's that's a great book to, to kind of go to if you are really interested in these themes. Um, so I just want to ask another question as well, because B mentioned earlier, and this just made me think, so the the the, the original thing we were talking about was because it's all about advertising right um these what the data that the cookies are compiling is beneficial to advertisers because they want to access people who they can sell their products to and we've talked about like there are downsides to that um even though there are upsides but what b mentioned will was um well could these cookies and their data also be sold to uh political organizations or state actors um and i mean i don't know how much you would know this even but would you do you think that oracle or salesforce would do that kind of thing as well i suspect so again it's very difficult to say if you're not on the inside you don't yeah. know for sure and and i can't say with any kind of certainty yes that's definitely happening but again, if you look back at the last 20 years of, you know, the developing data infrastructure, um, you know, there was a reason why platforms that were collecting vast amounts of consumer data were not more heavily regulated in the early 
2000s and, and onwards, and it was because they were useful for governments. Um, you know, obviously the US government has jurisdiction over Silicon Valley and a lot of the, the kind of startups that became, you know, internet giants. Um, and, you know, that growth was happening at the same time as the war on terror. And it was useful for governments to be able to enable these, like, big tech platforms to, to hoard lots and lots of data and then just come along and say, well, you have to share it with us. It might be useful. Um, but again, you know, it's it. <laughs> these are not things that are ever officially confirmed or or very, very transparent in terms of, you know, where data is coming from or who's sharing it with whom. Um, it's, it's within the powers of certainly state governments uh, to, to access a lot of data and it's collected privately. Um, but whether it's paid for or not, I don't know. Um, this Again, this is one of the, the, the really good things about bringing these kinds of things to court is because there has to be a discovery process. You have to be, you know, you are shining a light um, legally, even if it's just a very specific, uh, narrow thing. Um, this It affords us this opportunity to shine a light on these processes and, you know, they will have to come to court and, and defend their actions. And I'm very, very intrigued to, to hear their side of the story. We, we could find out a lot, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was thinking, so you gave the example there actually of, you know, where it's the government of the country where that company, I guess, operates, you know, demanding, give us your data. But actually what I was thinking of was, selling it to say foreign governments or um or just like political parties who who want to like influence voters for instance which i guess also could be we're treading a very dangerous line here <laughs> yeah. How, yeah. How, how much do we really want to say here um Obviously, you know, we've all read about the various different data-related shenanigans that have gone on politically um, and sort of global, uh, globally over the last few years. We've all heard of Cam you know, Cambridge Analytica. We've all wondered about, you know, whether things would have turned out differently in certain elections or plebiscites if, um, you know, data mining mm. and, and targeting hadn't been a thing. Um Again, you know, even after inquiries into those things, I, don't, I still don't think we really know exactly what happens and exactly what algorithms we used. Um, it, it's a very, very murky world when you start digging into it. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think the answer is, yeah, there's always a possibility that these things can be sold. There's a there's a higher possibility that these things can just be hacked or, or leaked, you know, unintentionally data breaches happen every day and a lot of them are you know just through accident or incompetence they're not you know it's not a conspiracy a lot of the time it's just right. ig ignorance of, of how to do things password being password one two three exactly yeah or password <laughs> right so people could get this um steal this cookie information as well if it was sufficiently valuable i suppose uh, well it it's like like anything it's it's data it's all stored in one place in one format if you can mm. get access to it then of course you can uh you can go nuts can't you uh data as i said data breaches are not unusual <laughs> right yeah yeah um i so i want to just um just imagine it's a few d years down the line and let's say that so so you're going to court i believe in the uk when you said there's also one in the netherlands but yes imagine that 
you are successful, um, what would the um, the kooky usage and like the industry around it look like after that? Would we still like? Is there a an ethical way for them to still collect this data, which is useful for targeted advertising of things we want? that we actually want and that we know what decisions are being made somehow like there's some you know method to ensure transparency um or will that just be too hard <laughs> okay there's, that's i think that's about five questions sorry <laughs> one giant one i'll try to... <laughs> um okay so yeah as i said earlier legal processes are not known for for being very quick i right. think this is probably going to take a few a few years probably about 3 years i think 3 years would be an, a good a good outcome actually if it was all done and dusted by then um ideally yes we win what i would like to see happen next, and I, I and this is a, maybe something i should have said a bit earlier when with a bit more kind of uh, emphasis the last thing i want is for websites to get less user friendly because of this it's not my desire for every person to be harried by ever bigger cookie you know um explainers and have to read half a paragraph of t's and c's before you can get onto the website you want to go on that's not what we want at all we don't want everyone to have to read an essay about what every single cookie does except the terms and conditions that everyone reads i know right it's like the iphone any technology it's like i would love to meet the person that's read all of the small print and you know still has any kind of air of youth about them because surely it would have taken years um, so no, I, I, we are absolutely not advocating for more text and cumbersome buttons just to, to access uh, a website. Really, what I'd like to see is is a mass move away from these massive data grabs. You know, the, the, I, you know, I've said it before. It's lazy. Just hoovering up all of the data for advertising purposes is so lazy. You know, if you want targeted advertising, well, maybe you should opt into that. Give someone certain number of preferences and away they go. They can put a cookie on your system then that conforms to those preferences. You have put them in yourself. You know what they are. You know how they're being used. So, I mean, there's obviously this. Yeah, there's a there's a sorry, a potential for opting in. If you know target advertising is something you're interested in, quite frankly, I'd love to know how much more lucrative targeted advertising actually is, because um, you know people still bought a lot of stuff before targeted advertising, and when they were just seeing adverts on ITV in the middle of Coronation Street, um, I don't know how much how much more stuff people are buying well, as a result. Maybe of, it's not the ads. quantity, but it's the niches that uh, that are being able to. I mean, if you, say you have a really um i mean imagine well okay so maybe devil devil's advocate here for a bit. <laughs> imagine you're a small company that has like a really niche product and you want to find your market um of people who just you know globally but they're a really specific kind of person um like find it how how would you know who those people are i mean it, it, this is one of those ways that you can i suppose <laughs> Possibly, but again, you know, the big mass, the, the big targeted advertising is mostly done by very, very high value, large, large businesses. You know, they crowd out the little guy anyway, because the little guy just does not have the marketing budget to compete in that real time bidding process to put an advert in front of you. So unless, unless 
their preferences and your preferences are so insanely overlapping, they'd probably be crowded out anyway. You know, their best bet, as as with a lot of smaller businesses around the world, is to use other kinds of media um, to, to get their name out and build a community. I mean, you know, we're going way off topic here because I'm not an expert in that. Yeah, but yeah, in sure. terms of the targeted advertising, small businesses do not often get that much of a look in anyway. They they struggle to compete financially uh, on these platforms. So, yeah, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't assume that there'd be much loss there. Um, what, what I'd really like to see is, as I say, like forgetting just these kind of pernicious, massive data hoovers that they put on your computer and just suck up everything. What we'd really like to see is contextual advertising. Um, and so this is something that the... I think it's the New York Times that um, they've kind of advocated for and they've massively moved towards. So away from just having, you know, websites with a massive window for whatever advert um, gets put in front of you from real-time bidding, actually it's more a case of, okay, I'm clicking on a story here that's about, I don't know, a new cancer drug. Um, and so the advertising there is is for cancer charities, for instance, or so, you know things related to the actual story. So adverts that are contextually appropriate to what you're actually reading. I mean that for a start, it takes away an awful lot of the kind of challenges around you know potentially harmful adverts being put in front of children, for instance, especially if they're using a different person's uh, laptop, because everything that you you know all of the adverts that you see will be kind of appropriate to, to the content that you are there viewing um, and again you know the advertising industry is one of the most creative industries in the world some advertising is amazing you know I I, I love really good adverts um, and this is I think this would actually be great for the ad it'd be quite reinvigorating for the industry maybe to actually have to rise to this kind of challenge and be creative about how you market to people without just lazily kind of falling back on an imperfect algorithm I mean you know well well crafted regulation I guess can spur innovation and that's that's a thing that happens right (laughs) well you know nudges sometimes are all you need and you know sometimes one big case that's that basically says look this is not going to be tolerated anymore that will that will hopefully provide a really good nudge um regulation on its own unless it's actually been exercised Mm. yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) not so much yeah i mean it it definitely doesn't seem like it would be bad for business what what you were saying you know the 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 option for targeted advertising would be there but it, if anything it might have to be even more specific um yeah like you mentioned having adverts of the the actual thing that you're looking at if it's an article if it's you're looking at a cancer article and it's cancer drugs or something like that um well i don't know if if adverts for cancer <laughs> drugs are necessarily <laughs> a good a great example but, oh, oh, so, yeah. i'm just thinking that even if even with that if you're on a it, we have to tread lightly because if you think about it, on a help me get rid of my gambling addiction, you could get gambling mm. ads on that context. Mm. So it would still be a little bit. Again, though, you know, yeah. there's there's all sort of things work. that we can go on. How, how it would work is another question completely. For <laughs> um, but yeah, contextual stuff I think is far less harmful. Than, mm. than this kind I of think less having. surprises would be ruined as well because if you go online and search for 
you share a, a computer, or you don't need to share, but look that you're looking for someone's present, and then they are hovering over, and the, there's like <laughs> adverts for the yeah. thing, so that would be a bit. It's like, How I many know what you've been searching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, well, okay, Rebecca, I think um, that's probably a good uh, place to start wrapping up. Um, I think before we let you go, I did have a bonus question. Um, oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it might it might be a little bit. I mean, you don't have to give a long answer to this, but I think it's 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 about something that's kind of related to what we've been talking about, but is a little bit of a tangent. Um, and it's about advertising technology. So. Ad tech's also also been implicated in providing kind of a perverse incentive to media organisations who share their content on social media, um, where the problem is that more clickbaity headlines result in greater ad revenue. Um, do you see as that that is also being a big problem? Uh, and do you think that there's anything that can be done about that? Would the Privacy Collective be interested in that kind of thing? Um, so yeah, that's obviously very, very separate from um, from the legal action. Uh, I think, I, you know, just as a private individual and person that has worked in and around tech um, for many years, uh, clickbait is just terrible, isn't it? Right? Because <laughs> yeah, it, it it's it's perniciously driving traffic towards things that are obviously obviously wrong and we don't have enough of a kind of civic education sort of backbone I think in certainly in the UK a lot of the time to be critical about what we're looking at people are very 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 uncritical of what they view online um so yeah I think it's it's a terrible it's a terrible uh, tangent to go off and and if you are someone that doesn't really look at those kinds of stories and, and think about what you're clicking on in a critical way then you can end up you know very poorly informed which is is not a great not not a great state of affairs if it's happening to a lot of people i, I think um, we all have our um our you know guilty pleasures of oh no there's one type of clickbait that i click every time and i'm always disappointed <laughs> There is, and, and you know, it's okay if it's a little bit of a guilty pleasure, and you know, you know that there's not a paedophile ring operating out of the basement of the local pizzeria exactly. or whatever that's run, run by Hillary Clinton. And you know, as, as long as you know, I mean, I go on BuzzFeed sometimes. You know, I take the quiz to find out if I'm more of a pizza or a burger. Or um, we've all been you know, that bored. <laughs> that's the truth. We've all been. We've all reached a level of boredom where those quizzes and things on BuzzFeed are interesting. Right, it's, it's fine every now and again. And, you know, if, if you are looking at it critically and you know it's just a farce and you're just just intrigued, really, to see where this horrific headline is going, then that's one thing, I guess. can't believe but... I'm not actually a burger. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> that is disappointing. Um, so, so thank you. So to wrap this up, thank you so much because we've been already talking quite a bit um yeah a long time <laughs> yes so but where can people find out uh more about what's happening with the case and and all of the information right so the um the privacy collective um we are online um we are on twitter um what we really need to do is kind of demonstrate that there is a class of people that that kind of support this action that they are they're in the class and that 
they want this to be put before a court. You know, it really helps us if we can stand up in court and say, look, there are 10,000 people that have come on our website and just clicked one button to show their support for this. So if anyone is able to do that and wants to support this action, that is the most useful thing they can do. The website is theprivacycollective.eu, uh, which hopefully is, is quite easy to uh, to get into your Google. It'll come up as the first uh, result. And there's just a banner on there that says show your support. That would be really, really useful for us just to be able to demonstrate that this isn't just some kind of intellectual pursuit by one person that's aggrieved um that it is something that people are increasingly thinking about yeah i mean yeah awesome thanks for sharing that information i think um i think there definitely will be a lot of people interested i mean it, it's certainly been i found it a really interesting yeah topic and as we said at the towards the start quite quite scary so hopefully that will uh, motivate <laughs> people to uh to um to get involved yeah well, thank you very much for having me. It's been really lovely talking to you. And if anyone out there wants to talk to me or interact with me about these kinds of things, then I'm on Twitter as well as Rebecca Rumble. And I love I love talking about this kind of thing. So I'd be more than happy to get messages or whatever. Perfect. All right. Thanks, Rebecca. To learn more about the work going on at the Alan Turing Institute, visit our website at turing.ac.uk. To get in touch with the podcast team, if you have any questions or suggestions, email us at podcast at turing.ac.uk. Music for this episode was provided by Jamin Sun. You can listen to his latest releases at jaminsun.bandcamp.com. The Turing Podcast is hosted by Ed Calstreet, Tarek Allen, Ben Walden, Effie Dennis and produced by Dan Whitfield for the Alan Turing Institute.